you'll take your Bibles and turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're coming to the finishing time as we study the life of David. And last week we saw David's sin and we see how that chapter was all about David until the last verse. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And then we switched to chapter 12 and it's all about God. And again, we need to to come and we need to see how this is a good thing. It's not an easy thing. It's not if I had my way and if I wanted to make lots of money and get jets and have big homes and stuff like that, I'd never deal with sin and never talk about bad things. But it's not what the Bible had in mind. So we deal with hard things, but hopefully you hear in the midst of this the gospel. The good news that God is a loving God and he disciplines those who are his. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we come to this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, again, our prayer is simple, Lord. Give us ears to hear that we might grasp the truth of this scripture and apply it to our lives. And then, Lord, truly change us. Truly change us by the times that you confront us with our sin Lord, most of all, thank you for your forgiveness and mercy and grace. May they be found anew to us this morning. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So probably most of us can think back to times where we had sins or the times that we got in trouble. We remember vividly and we got punished for them. We had, for me, back when I was a kid, I mean, some of you have heard the story before, but I have two older brothers and a younger sister, so I never got to um, beat up on my sister very much. Um, But my two older brothers would constantly, uh, in my opinion, abuse me. So um, to get back at my one specific brother, um, many of you remember before uh, you did everything in the dryer, you used to have clotheslines and the clotheslines that used to go the length of your whole backyard. Well, I thought it was really funny um, that there was a significant height difference that I went and I took one of the clotheslines and I let it down and retied the knot. And uh, it was a kind of around a corner. And so I did something to tick off my brother, I'm sure. And here he comes running after me and he got clotheslined uh, at the neck. And I mean, it laid him out and... I was laughing, and I, I thought it was such a good thing, um, right until the time that my dad, I think, whipped me up. I mean, he gave me no uh, time to even think about it. He whipped me up, took me inside, and off came the belt. Um, and then the talking to that I could have actually killed my brother. Now, I think that's a far stretch, but and it's still something I do even to this day. That shows you how bad my sin is. So we have that. There's also a time, same brother, where me and my cousin were trying to burn leaves close to the house. And my brother came over and taught me how to do it even better right until the time that my mom smelt the smoke and came out. And we all were in trouble. And then my father proceeded to ask, whose idea was this? And me and my cousin sold my brother out. Um, And I remember watching my brother just kind of look at us. And uh, that was changing. It was something that impacted me. Well, it's not much different than what's going to happen here with David. 
there's a confrontation that happens between God and David that's going to change him for the rest of his life. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit to kind of see what it is that's going on. So the first thing we're going to look at is that, one, there was a necessary confrontation of his sin. Now, the reality is we can kind of look at it and go, well, did David get away with a sin? I mean, if we understand the difference between chapter 11 and chapter 12, there are months that have passed. It's not like a couple of days, months have passed. David has taken the opportunity to um, go out, see, take Bathsheba. Um, she conceives, he brings in, tries to cover up. He then murders her husband and not by his own hand, but he uses the warfare to try to cover it up. And seemingly he has gotten away with it and they've done everything in the public eye properly. They've been good um, people to mourn for the process. And so now they find themselves uh, getting ready to have this child. And so there's many months and it seems that David has gotten away with it. It's part of the reason why uh, I talk about a lot of times of keeping short accounts with God. And again, I've used this uh, before, but it's like the cereal bowl. I like Raisin Bran. And the thing is, if you eat Raisin Bran and you have those few flakes left over or whatever, if you go to the kitchen sink and you rinse it out at the beginning, it's real easy. It comes out very quickly, right? But if you leave those Raisin Bran flakes in there and let it sit all day and it gets hard, then you have to take it and either let it soak or you have to go back and you have to scrape it out. So you have to understand that just because God delays in his coming, he is not disregarding your sin. Even though he delays, he's not disregarding your sin. And the reality is we need to recognize that the more that time goes, the more that we're not confronted with our sin, our heart, our hearts become hardened. We really do think we get away with it. We really do make these statements of like, Oh Lord, strike me with lightning. And people make those statements because they really don't think God's going to judge. But those who do believe, what do you do? I move over a little bit. Because if God really wanted to, he could come and let striking strike. And so we find ourselves getting hardened hearts. And so what he does is he sends, listen, the word of the Lord. Now, how does he do that? One, by sending a prophet. Now, please understand, this is not a passage of how we become Nathans. It's not to teach us, hey, we can become a good confronter of other people's sin. That's not the purpose of this passage. The purpose of the passage is to look at our sin. And so what God does is God sends this prophet. And the prophet represented God's word to his people. Just like the priest in the Old Testament represented the people's words to God. And so God was very clearly sending his word to his people. It's no different than having the scripture in your hands today. God has brought the word to you. And not only has God brought the word to you, but it was, listen, God who pursued. And you, you need to understand what an incredible gift that is. It's God who pursued. David wasn't seeking after God. It was God who came to David. It was God who sent Nathan. It's the same thing for us in regards to, to our understanding. It's God who sends Jesus. We're not looking for him. 
We're not looking for a Savior except that God sends a Savior to us. And so when we begin to understand that, we can see that this is a loving confrontation that happens. It's a loving thing. Now, one of the things that, that I think is pretty amazing is, um, it was brought up, is why is God speaking in a parable? Because listen, David is no longer in communion with God. This is David who wrote the, the Psalms. This is David who, who walked with God and was fearless for God. He knew how to talk to God. And so God has to, when he's out of fellowship, brings a parable. And so Nathan comes and talks about the rich man and the poor man. And he says, the rich man has all these lambs. Now listen, this is not lost on David because David was what? A shepherd. It's not lost on David. He was a poor shepherd. And so with a rich man who has all these sheep and this one man who has this one little ewe that loved it and took care of it, and the rich man goes and takes it and then slaughters it and feeds it to this company. This wasn't lost on David. And it brought, listen, trauma to him. So much so that, listen, it outrages David. Listen, when God confronts us with the world, it, it rips off the mask. It, it rips off of who we think we are. I, I do a discipleship, and we do a book called Disciplines of a Godly Man. And there's this quote. Um, I had to do the marriage one this week. And typically, I'm doing younger kids, so I, that's one we pass over. Um, but this is a married guy, and so we were meeting. And one of these quotes, and I had bookmarked it years ago, but it slapped me in the face again. If my wife... Is my wife more like Christ because she is married to me? Or is she like Christ in spite of me? Has she shrunk from his likeness because of me? Do I sanctify her or do I hold her back? Is she a better woman because she is married to me? Is she a better friend, a better mother? Now women, you can turn that around and say that about your husband. You can say it, kids, to your parents. Parents to your kids. Are people, when they come into contact with you, are they better off and look more like Christ? Or are they trying to find Christ in spite of you? See, the loving confrontation of God's word comes and he smacks us in the face a lot of times to rip off our mask, to make us see who we really are at the core, not who we pretend to be. And the way we do that is we have to understand sin. See, it's we talk about specks and planks we talk that it's so easy to see the sins of other people isn't it that's why god had to write to us in matthew chapter 7 verses 3 through 5 so why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye you hypocrite First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Now again, it doesn't tell you you that there's not time to, to confront one another. If we're loving and caring, we do. But the reality is we have to do it the right way. And again, it's always the thing that we're usually guilty of. That's the thing that we see clearly in other people. Let me give you some real life examples. When people blow by me on uh, 528 heading over toward Orlando, I'm usually making the statement, I hope that person gets pulled over because they are going way above the speed limit. Well, how do you know they're going to the speed limit? Because I'm already going 10 miles over the speed limit. 
And so they blew by me, so they must be going really fast. How quickly it is to judge. What about even within the church? It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Say that to a person and then go do something against them the same way. Well, it's just better for me to ask for forgiveness than to ask your permission to do this. You do this all the time. Why can you not see that that, that when it happens to you? Because of the specks and the logs. And so remember, David is so irate at this point when he hears the parable. His judgment, listen, is harder than what is required. He says, this man should die. The thing in the Bible says it should only be repaid four times. So if you lose one lamb, you get four back. But David says, this man should die. And what does Nathan have to say to David? You are the man. You are that man. And so he confronts him. And then what he does is he wants us to do something that I name saying, name your sin. What do I mean by that? See, today it's too easy to just deal with general sins. Are you a sinner? Yes. So I ask for forgiveness for my sins. That's too easy. We need to name our sins. That's what Nathan does to David. You murdered. He took, he, and he doesn't say, and he's married now to Bathsheba. He doesn't say, hey, and now while we're talking about your wife, he says, hey, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, you murdered him by the hand of the Ammonites. He names his sin because, again, our, our sin nowadays is our choices or our lifestyle. That's just, what if David would have said, well, this is just how kings are. We get to take whatever we want. We get to do whatever we want. I can live whatever lifestyle I want. This is what defines me. Name your specific sins. Why? Because what um, Nathan does for David is he, he brings out to him, you have despised God. That's a harsh statement. He didn't say, hey, you're just a sinner. He said, you have despised God. Why? Because the hand of God was upon him. Listen, David knew better. If you're not a Christian here, I'm glad you're here. I hope you hear the things. But this is written to, to Christians. Christians know better. We have the word. It tells us how we're supposed to live. It tells us that God is holy. It tells us that we're to be holy as God is holy. We know better. We know how we're supposed to act. We know how we're supposed to live. We know how we're supposed to respond. David knew how to be a godly king. And he chose not to. And when he did that, his sin became against God. It's against God and God alone in some ways. Sin is insulting to God. Sin is the most costly thing that has ever happened. God had to send his son to the cross because of our sin. And so it's this thing where, again, we have to get in this mindset that every time we sin, it's not just against other people. It's not something that we do that doesn't affect other people. It does. And it's something that, again, R.C. Sproul once said this about the prodigal son story. He says, when the prodigal son comes back, he says, Dad, I've sinned against you, but I've sinned against God. He said, I would have given that man a degree in theology. Because he finally grasped and understood the reality that every time we sin, we are despising the God who created us. 
But he doesn't leave us there. Do you understand that, that God had every right to strike down David? He has two capital offenses that he should die for. He's committed adultery and he is murdered. And David should die. Temporarily, as well as be judged by God. But what does God allow him to do? After this confrontation, David repents and receives forgiveness. We know that there's a, a repentance because he says there's a confession. And he makes a statement, I have sinned against God. Listen, if you are someone who's, who, when you get caught in your sin or your sin is brought to your attention and you shift the blame, or if you're just sorry, I mean, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? They both deny Christ. And Judas is even sorry for his sin, but he's not repentant. He doesn't confess his sin. He doesn't turn from his sin and run back to Christ. So repentance is that thing that is, is saying that I die to myself and I live for Christ. And then we receive his forgiveness. See, God doesn't extract judgment upon David. He showers him with forgiveness. You will not die. You're not going to die because of this. Now, here's the hard part, isn't it? So if God's forgiven David, there's two people who deal with this differently. The first person says, man, that sure seems like David's getting off easy. He's committed adultery. He's killed people. Those are awfully big sins. God can't forgive those. He shouldn't forgive those. It's not fair. But there's also other people who say, well, David's, well, he's been forgiven. So why are there consequences? See, the reality is, is that a lot of people make the statement, it's not fair. <laughs> if I'm truly sorry, if I've actually confessed and repented, then why am I still being dealt with? Now, I want you to hear these things very clearly. There is a difference between temporal effects versus eternal consequences of sin. There are things that happen to us temporally. It does not affect what happens to us eternally. David was forgiven of his sin eternally. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences here temporally. Now, I don't know who wrote this article, but the next four points comes from uh, a website called Got Questions. Okay, and I think it's very good. Use it, very solid. So these next four categories, I think, are very helpful to us. So there's the first understanding of the effects of sin is universal. What does that mean? It means, one, it affects everyone. For example, like natural disasters, hurricanes come. If we get hit by a hurricane, all of Brevard County is going to get hit by a hurricane. Okay? Everyone's going to die. He doesn't have a special dying over here for Christians and a special dying over here for non-Christians. The results are different, but we all die. It's universal. Okay, there's also, secondly, a natural effect. This natural effect is what we call cause and effect. Or what we as Christians say, you reap what you sow. So let's talk about this. If you steal, should you go to jail? Yes. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. If you're stealing from people, you should go to jail. 
Can you be a Christian in jail? Yes. Does it mean because you're a Christian that you need to get out of jail? No. You reap what you sow. It's the natural consequences of our sin. These next two, I think, is what David is dealing with in regards to God. The third one is instructional. It's given to the others or big picture, the church. An example of this would be Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, they're in the New Testament in the book of Acts, and they go out and they sell the land. And they didn't have to give all the money, but they went and they lied. And they said, hey, we sold the land and we're giving all of this to the Lord. And they said, really, you're giving all of it? Oh, yeah, we're giving all of it. (laughs) They're dead. Now, what's the point? The scripture tells us very clearly, Acts, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. God uses as an instruction for the church. And then the fourth thing that he does with the effects of our sins, it's a disciplinary. It's a way that he takes as a father to a child and he disciplines us for what we've done. Now I'm going to ask you, because this one's too big for me to put up for you, turn to Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll start at verse 3, and I'm going to read for a little bit, so if you have your Bibles, follow along. So consider him who endeared from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. For God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, here's the reality. If we're not being punished, listen, if I went to my friend's house and we broke the rules of the house, what happened to me? I got sent home. He got disciplined because he was the son. If we are not experiencing discipline, then he's saying very quickly that we're illegitimate kids. If you are a Christian, and we talked about this last week, your sin will find you out. Because God loves you too much to allow you to get away with it. And what he's doing with David is he's saying this. He's, he's saying it specifically to leadership. Hey, David, you're held to one, a higher standard. Again, you're the king. You knew better. I spoke to you. The Holy Spirit led you. You knew what was right. And you despised me. And so David, for the instruction of the church and those who come after, and for the instruction of you, David, greater are the consequences for your sin. And listen, the four-time understanding, how many of sons of David die? 
four. David has his own son take up the concubines onto the roof in public and has relations with them. And God said very quickly, what you did in private, I'm exposing your sin publicly. And so he gives instruction. He gives this discipline because he hates David. No, because he loves David. He loves him. And so he disciplines him. And so what happens is the reality is, and this is a quote that's by Joe Novenson, and I want you to, to take it and take it to heart. When God disciplines, it hurts like heaven. It hurts like heaven. It's not pleasant. Nobody, nobody wants to go through discipline. But listen, I want you to understand, he never punishes us. He doesn't get even. He disciplines us so that we might learn and understand and be drawn closer to him. Listen, it should make us ask the question, so why am I hiding my sin? He knows anyways. Even when you erase your history of what you've looked up, he still knows. Even when you've lied in your small group or your accountability partner, he still knows. Why are we trying to cover our sin up? Jesus has already paid the price. He's paid the price for that sin. And he says, come back to me. Because I love you. And I care for you. Is it hard to deal with consequences? Yes. But it's there to remind us. Listen, there's a a picture. A lot of times, and probably if you're in Christian circles, you've probably seen it. It's where there's a picture of Jesus. And again, I'm not saying that's the picture that Jesus really was. But it's one where he has a lamb on his shoulder. And most people go, oh, isn't that cute? If you understand anything about shepherds and, and sheep and lambs, that's not a good picture. It's like people who put up Noah's Ark in their nurseries. I'm like, what? God destroyed the whole world and you're going to put up the boat with the animals to, to make your kid? That's what you're going to give kids, your kids growing up with? And it just doesn't make sense to me. Now, if you did that, it's okay. But it's one of these things of, it's the sheep that's on the, the, the shepherd's shoulder is the one that's been strained. And so the shepherd has to go back and bring it back. It strays again, he brings it back. Strays again, he brings it back. Strays again, brings it back. Well, at some point, the shepherd breaks the leg of the sheep. Breaks the leg. And then he has to carry it on his shoulders until the leg mends. So it's not a cute picture. It's a picture of a sheep that has strayed so often that it had to have its leg broken and is now carried by the shepherd. But that is grace and mercy. Because the stories that come out from shepherds, real life people said, after that sheep mends, it never leaves the shepherd's side. That's what we're called to. So here's the reality. I hope God has been speaking to you. And I want you to understand, I'm not here to get you or to judge you. I get this 40 hours during the week, so you should be glad that you only get it one hour, 20 minutes. But if God has convicted you, name your sin and confess it and run back to Jesus. Run back to him. Because here is the reality. He allows you to come and to deal with consequences. And some of you are dealing with the consequences of your sin. Praise 
God because of it. Why? Because you know you're his. Because you know you're his. Run back to Jesus Christ. Lay your sins at the foot of the cross. And hear these words. Hear them. Take them to heart. God takes your sin and throw them as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers them no more. Those of you who feel like your sins were so big God can't use you, tell Satan to go back to the depths of hell. You're not listening to his lies anymore. God can use you and will use you. Are you changed because of that sin? Yes. But hopefully you're like the sheep to where you run closer to Jesus than from him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that we have the ears to hear and the hearts to understand that, again, we understand that discipline is not easy. It's not something we yearn for. It's not something we like. But, Father, we do understand that as we sin against you, as we sin in our words, as we sin in our thoughts, as we sin in our deeds, we're not just sinning against ourselves or others. We're sinning against Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit, God the Father. And so, Dad, we're glad that you forgive us of our sins and we will not pay the eternal consequence. So in the temporal, give us the ability to withstand the Lord more than anything. May we cling to our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we live in the presence of the gospel, knowing how much we're forgiven. And then, Lord, allow us the ability to forgive others in the same manner. Lord, when we stop judging each other's specks and pull the logs out of our own eyes and begin to love one another the way that we should, what an incredible church this will be. So, Father, give us Jesus. More of him we pray. And it's in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.